for the reading of our scripture for the day, which once again comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, and this time we'll be going from verse 3 to verse 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven Things into which angels long to look. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, y'all know if I've been gone, I've got two weeks to prepare a message. So, no, we're starting late. Okay, don't blame this one on me. Anywho, um, let me pray. Father, we come as your people your children, the sheep of your pasture. And you have told us in your word that it is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So, Father, as we come this morning, we come to receive from your hand the teaching, the instruction, the conviction, the blessing, the grace that we need to hear, receive, and to live out these words that are your words that we're looking at today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who dwells in us and among us that he might teach us and give us this understanding and the power to live it out. We trust you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. So had we'll read 3 to 12, we will be covering today 10 to 12 because we've already covered the other stuff. Um, so we're going to start in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So as we start into this particular passage, we're immediately pointed back to the last passage, which is why I had him read that as well. And that's the last passage we looked at in 1 Peter a couple of weeks ago. Our first few words here say concerning this salvation. Well, what salvation? Well, verse 9 had ended, let me find that, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the salvation that this salvation that Peter mentions 
and this passage is concerning here at the outset. And really, that's really what this whole passage is about. If I was the kind of guy who titled his sermons, and I'm not, I'd title this one Concerning This Salvation. So did I just title it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) Anywho, uh, this salvation, which is the outcome of our faith in the person and work of Jesus, whom Peter's readers, nor we, he said, had ever seen before. You've never seen him. You don't see him now, but you love him. So concerning this salvation, Peter is saying basically this salvation, oh yeah, let's talk about that. And then watch what he says concerning this salvation. Concerning this salvation, the prophets. Hmm. Now, who are these prophets? The prophets is how he refers to them. The prophets who prophesied about the grace. So who are the prophets? That word... um, Prophet can be a little bit of a charged title. It can kind of be a hot topic issue. You want to get people fired up from different denominations or different groups. Start talking about prophecy because you're going to have a divided camp about who is a prophet, what's the qualifications of a prophet, are there prophets today, are there not prophets today, did the, did the, the office end at a certain point, and, and some guy stands up and says, I'm a prophet, and God says this, you better listen to me. There's a whole lot wrapped up in that little word, in that title. So what is a prophet according to the Bible? And I really kind of thought when I first started into this passage that this would be the focus, and it's not the focus, but we do need to look at this and, and define biblically... What is a prophet? So back in the Old Testament, in God's instructions to the Hebrews when they were coming out of Egypt, we read in a a certain passage some really different roles of a prophet in their times. Okay, so I'm going to look at Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22. Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. Now that's really big. Watch this. Oh, I love just my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. Okay, keep that in mind. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken... When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Now, there are tons of passages in the Old Testament that talk about prophecy and what a prophet looks like, but we're just going to use this little snippet here to at least lay out some parameters from what, this, from what Moses says concerning a prophet. So the prophet here is described as one raised up by God. They're to be listened to. They're literally speaking God's words in place of God because the Israelites were like, we can't bear 
to hear God talk. It's just too much for us. So God said, I'll use a human being. And I'll raise that person up, that man up. I'll speak my words to him. And how that happens is kind of a mystery to us. And then he'll speak what I spoke to him to the people. So he's speaking God's words. He speaks only what God commands him. He's not speaking anything that God hasn't commanded. And if he does speak something that God hadn't commanded, it's death to the prophet. We see in other, in other passages. And if they speak something that isn't from God, that doesn't come to pass, they are not to be listened to. Again, that's not all that the Old Testament says, but that gives us a good overview to work with here. So, there are prophets mentioned in both the Old and the New Testaments. And you can read the prophetic books of the Old Testament and see that some books are predictive in their prophecy. Some are pleas from God to His people. Some are God declaring woe on foreign nations. Remember Nahum and Habakkuk. Some are bizarre-looking displays by the prophet to live out a picture of God's message to either his people or others. Think Hosea and what he did there. Uh, Some prophecy is poetry. Some are songs. It's very varied, to say the least. But in all of these instances, in all of these prophets and prophecies, God is speaking through the prophet. God is declaring a message through the prophet that can be about the past, it can be about the present, or it can be about the future. Again, what's super duper important to realize here is God is literally speaking through the prophet. So yeah, the prophetic work in office is a pretty big deal. Now, back to Peter. Where, what, what is Peter saying that the prophets did in this scenario in our passage concerning This salvation, he says back in verse 10, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Okay? So, looking here in Peter, remembering that God is speaking through the prophet and the prophetic word is God's word to the people, here... Peter is saying that these prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be yours and that they searched and they inquired carefully. And then verse 11, which we'll include with this uh, thought pattern so that we can put it all together, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So I think it's important that we read those two verses together again. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Okay, so these prophets um, speaking God's words, predicting God's workings, prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, Peter says to the recipients of his letter. So let's investigate just that part first. These prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. And again, the yours here obviously refers to the recipients of Peter's letter. And since we're reading it and it was preserved for us, it's for us too. So let's, let's look at that. So the grace that was to be yours. So the prophets from whenever they were, hundreds, possibly over a thousand or more years before Peter wrote his letter, which was 2,000 years ago to us. So these prophets that Peter is talking about to these 
recipients of this letter to the scattered elect exiles in the Asia Minor, these prophets prophesied about the grace that Peter's readers had received that had saved them. Now don't miss that. The grace that saved these New Testament believers had been predicted and proclaimed by prophets in days gone by. God had announced in the past that He was going to save by grace at some point in the future. The plans made in eternity past were shared via human messengers throughout God's working in time and history. God was literally broadcasting all through His working with His people and He was sharing through that broadcasting glimpses of what would be the great, grand, high event in His plan. God was going to make a way to graciously save His people. Now when you read the Old Testament, you don't think about grace much, do you? And you should, by the way, because God is grace. God has always been gracious. And what He's doing through the prophets is He's proclaiming about a day that is coming when that grace will be able to go forth and save His people. And people from all ages, from Adam into eternity future, they're always saved by grace alone. But we get an idea in our head that the Old Testament God, like He was a different God, wasn't about grace. But He definitely was because He doesn't change. And what He's done through the prophets in the Old Testament leading up to the time of Christ's life, death, burial, resurrection, is He's been saying, a time is coming when I will pour out my grace free, unmerited favor, and all of these laws, all of these things that are shadows of things to come will pass away and I'll be able to freely just dispense my grace. And he's broadcasting that all through the prophetic times and he's, he's pointing to that time. God was going to make a way to graciously save his people. And the prophets were sharing that truth in preview form. Think, think like a trailer for a movie. It's like you're seeing glimpses, parts of it. Bam, bam. Oh, look at that. That looks exciting. That's kind of what the prophets are doing. Uh, the prophets gave snippets, little glimpses. God gave the prophets little snippets and glimpses, and they shared those snippets and glimpses, which is hard to say, snippets and glimpses. Um, and so they're relaying these little snippets and glimpses. But from what Peter's saying, the prophets didn't just announce what was to come. He says they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now get a hold of that. These prophets shared God's intentions bit by bit, partial leading to a hoe eventually. And then after sharing what God had wanted them to say, literally he says what the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating, they would search and inquire carefully. So get a hold of that. Thomas Schreiner says this, The prophets searched intently and with the greatest care into the salvation. The two verbs, Schreiner says, should be interpreted together, indicating how ardently the prophets investigated the salvation about which they prophesied, end of quote. So it wasn't just, ooh, there's a word from the Lord, I'm going to share that word. Okay, that was great. It was download the message, proclaim the message, and then sit and think and study and pray and say, now what was that all about? They would receive God's word, they'd share it with His people and then start working themselves 
to figure out when all of this was going to take place and what this person, this predicted Christ, was going to be and be like. And Peter says it was the very spirit of the very same Christ who was giving them the information that they were laying about. Well, it was him that was giving them these visions, these words. Imagine, say, Isaiah, after writing what he wrote about the delivering work of the suffering servant uh, that Silas mentioned this morning in Isaiah 52 and on. Imagine Isaiah just wondering, hey, what kind of person, with a capital P, would be crushed by the Father's good pleasure and then would bring salvation to those near and those far off. Imagine Daniel pondering the reality of the vision that he had of that one like a son of man who was given an eternal kingdom that those from all peoples, nations, and languages would serve in that kingdom. They had older writings to look at. They would pray, I'm sure, about it. They would check with their elders to see if maybe an elder, like older people, people who had come before them, if maybe traditions had been handed down that might help them figure these things out. Like Schreiner said, they would ardently investigate. They would search out diligently what they had received and transmitted to God's people. So they didn't have a full understanding of it. So they received the message, shared the message, and then dove into the message to try to figure out what it meant, what it was like, what what this Christ was like, what this grace would be like. I would guess they'd probably write down their message if they had the means to write, and they would read it, and they would reread it, and they'd scratch their heads and fur their brows, putting on their thinking caps, sitting, pondering, evaluating, and just trying to figure it all out. And again, they're operating from partial glimpses here, glimpses and snippets. And imagine how weird it must have been to hear what they heard. Peter says back in his letter that they were searching out God's indications that this coming one was to experience two things, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now that's something to ponder and consider. God was revealing to the prophets that the coming Christ would suffer and that those sufferings would lead to subsequent glories. To which we've just got to say, oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom of God. God was revealing to these prophets that the coming one, capital O, one, the Christ who would make the grace of God available, first thing it says that God was showing them was that he would suffer. The Christ would suffer. Silas mentioned Isaiah. I just mentioned it again in the message here. And, and, and the suffering servant passage, which is probably the clearest and most well-known of the suffering passages in the prophets, that passage depicts the coming one as being marred beyond human semblance and having a form beyond that of the children of mankind because he was so marred. It says he was to be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And that's surely a clear depiction of sufferings. And that's just a couple of verses out of hundreds in the Old Testament speaking about the suffering of the coming Christ. In their investigating and searching out, the prophets were sure that this Christ would be a man of sufferings. And to me, that's that's really curious because we have seen and said so many times that the people of Jesus' day when He was around, the Jews of the Gospels, that they missed the advent of Christ when Jesus was alive, because they were looking for a conquering king. They were looking for a military guy to come in and and blow Rome away and set him free. But all of these prophets had spoke of the suffering of the coming Christ, which means we get this perception bias. We uh, 
suppose that the coming one will be like what we want. He's going to be great. And he's going to be powerful. He's going to be strong. Well, he'll suffer too, right? Oh, no. Not my Messiah. When the testimony of the prophets is suffering, first and foremost. He would necessarily suffer. And then, then those sufferings would be the gateway to what? To subsequent glories, Peter says. So yeah, the sufferings weren't to be the end, thank God. The Christ was going to suffer, yes, but those sufferings were not without a reason. And they were just a stop along the way to the destination. And get this, the destination for the suffering Christ was ultimately the glories that came after the sufferings. And this word glory, I don't expect you to read this, I just want you to see it. That's the definition of glories. Okay, I'm just going to pick out 168 occurrences in the New Testament. Translated as glory 145 times, glorious 10 times, honor 6 times, praise 4 times, dignity twice, and worship once. And I just want to pull out of this definition what these glories that the suffering Christ would subsequently inherit, inherit after he suffered. So a lot in that definition, but what's important to note from it is that these glories that come after the sufferings for the Christ are the visible signs of his perfection and position. It says that the glories are honor and praise, splendor, brightness, excellence, preeminence, majesty, supreme rulership, perfection, and more. And it's clear that these glories are unique to God alone in this definition. And in this case, in Peter's case, Jesus Christ alone, God the Son. And those glories, in light of the sufferings that preceded them, are even more glorious in contrast. Ever walk out of a dark theater into a into a bright outdoor? You're kind of like, whoa, whoa! The sun is the same brightness as it was when you went in, but where your eyes have been in the dark when you come out, whoa! It seems so much brighter. So the darkness of the sufferings make the glories seem even more glorious, if that's possible. And these prophets were forecasting the grace of God. Okay, and they're forecasting that grace seen through the lens of the sufferings that lead to the glory. Forecasting the grace of God seen through both the sufferings and the glories. And these prophets were rightly perplexed and fascinated at them all individually and collectively. And they dove deep to try to plumb the depths of it all. They searched and they inquired carefully, amazed at what they were hearing and proclaiming about the one who would suffer, the one who would be glorified, and the one who would then share that glory with those who would receive the grace that he was about to freely give. They predicted that he would come. They predicted that he would suffer and get glory. And they predicted that all of this was coming at some time in the future. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving, that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. What a verse. So these prophets were hearing from God and sharing what they heard, proclaiming the greatness of the grace, the greatness of the sufferings, the greatness of the glories of the Christ to come. And then they would search and inquire about who this Christ would be, what it would be like, and when his time would come. 
Well, in their searching and asking, Peter says that they learned at least one thing. What they were hearing and sharing and digging into wasn't for their time. All that they were looking into was a future thing to them, not a current thing or a now thing for them. Peter says to his recipients, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Now how about that? Now imagine receiving visions and revelations from God, getting worked up in good and bad ways, having and sharing a burden of what God was saying, seeing this coming Messiah in vivid or blurred pictures, looking into it, digging deep, working to figure out what all this was about, getting excited and then finding out, oh, you won't see it. Let me show you this great preview for this great movie that's coming out in 600 years. They found out that they were serving not themselves, but you. Huh. It seems to me that getting that info would be a little bit disappointing, to say the least. Like we said before, some of these guys were seeing and saying things that would not materialize for over a thousand years. The last prophetic book of the Old Testament is the Italian prophet Malachi. Um, no, it's Malachi, sorry. And Malachi was written in the mid-400s B.C., more than 400 years before Jesus ever showed up. So the most recent prophetic book was over 400 years old when Jesus showed up. So all these men were hearing, seeing, and saying were things that were centuries in the coming. And it was shown to them, now this is an interesting thought because I don't think we think about it at all. It was shown to them that, they, that what they were sharing was for the benefit of future generations. God revealed to them, told them whatever, hey, this, this is not for you. You're doing this for my people up the road, a far peace. This Christ and His grace while not contemporary topics for them, would pave the way for people in the time following His coming and suffering and glorification to be recipients of a grace far above anything that the prophets or their readers could ever imagine. And I can't help but think that though there was a longing and a desire to see these things, these prophets had to rejoice that there would be those who would not just hear about these things, but would also be blessed and literally saved by them. I think they would rejoice knowing that their contribution to the overall picture was an invaluable glimpse into the heart and mind of God which was being unfolded and offered to those whom God would make His own after the picture was fully painted. And the joy of the prophet, though not fully realized, was experienced in part. For, Peter says, they would know that they were indeed serving those coming generations the you in Peter's writing, which was the recipients and all the future generations that would read this letter. The prophets didn't know exactly how or when, but they did know that they were playing a part in God's plan and that those after them would be blessed by their faithfulness. So there's some joy in that for sure. But Peter's not quite done in our passage today. After saying that the prophets weren't serving themselves, but were serving those who would see that grace realized, Peter says that those yous 
that he is mentioning didn't just hear from prophets of the past, but that those prophets' words gave way to a future message in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. That is just absolutely loaded. Now, what are the things and who are those who preached? Well, in the things that have now been announced to you is shown to be the message of the good news just a few words later. The prophetic message, the pieces of the messianic puzzle all fell into perfect place and helped form the full-blown view of God's grace that is described in the gospel. Christ's birth, His perfect life, His death on a cross, His burial, His resurrection, showing Himself alive to over 500 people after His resurrection, His ascension into heaven, His being seated at the right hand of God the Father, the giving of His Spirit and His continual ministry of intercession for His people until His second coming to establish His forever kingdom which He will share with those whom He has purchased by it all is the message that was proclaimed to those who received Peter's letter and to all the generations after them, including us. That message was announced to you, Peter says. By whom? Through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, is his answer. And what an answer it is. The good news was preached, proclaimed by that early church, and that good news was based on the teaching of the apostles of Jesus, those who had seen Him, known Him, shared life with Him, and directly received the commandments He had given during His earthly ministry. Remember a week or two ago, it might have been more than that, we said that the words of the apostle are as of the words of the one who sent Him. Those apostles, like the prophets before them, were carrying the very words of God Himself. And they used those words to preach the gospel of the grace and glory of Jesus Christ. So God used people. And Peter makes clear that they weren't just repeating words aimlessly. No, they were those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. To the prophets, he had mentioned the Spirit of Christ. With the the apostles, he mentions the Holy Spirit who is sent from heaven, that this is how these apostles preached these words in this gospel. You see, Peter never got over Pentecost. He never got over it. That first Pentecost after Jesus' ascension, Peter never got over that. He never forgot the tongues of fire and the sound of the mighty rushing wind. And this crowd standing there and the reality of him and all of them being filled literally with the Holy Spirit of God. He never forgot or got over that simple message that he preached in the power of that Holy Spirit recorded in the book of Acts chapter 2 that led to 3,000 souls being saved at one time. And that Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that indwelt and filled him and all of them that day, and that message that he preached that day, and those results were Peter's template for gospel ministry. The power of the Holy Spirit of God, coupled with the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the only way for human beings to be saved. So Peter reminds 
the recipients of his letter, that the gospel they received was not just a neat concept taught to them by a trendsetter or some pop psychologist. No, it was preached by people who had been sent by the very Holy Spirit of God Himself. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the prophets of the past was now empowering the servants of God to proclaim a saving, purifying, glorifying gospel that would lead to God's people receiving God's grace and being born again to a living hope and an inheritance that was being kept for them as they were being kept for it as well. Peter had received that gospel. Peter had shared that gospel. And he had seen that gospel bring forth fruit in ways he never would have believed before. That no prophet could have ever ever fathomed before. And he was sure, Peter was sure, that it was this gospel that his readers had received and benefited from. He was sure that the same Holy Spirit who dwelt in him now dwelt in them. And it was glorious to him and it was glorious to them. How glorious? Well, Peter ends our passage today by saying that these things are so awesome that they are things into which angels long to look. The prophets of old wanted to see the fullness of what they saw in part. Peter and those he wrote to were experiencing it in its fullness firsthand. And in the heavenlies... The angels of God stand on their tiptoes hoping to catch a glimpse of what all this is about. Peter's statement shows that angels who will never personally experience personal redemption, having no need to because they don't have sin, they still long to know what it's all about. They long to look into it. There seems to be a parallel between the prophets who came before and the angels who see it after. Both groups long to see more. They want to experience more of what they see and they want to know what it's like to enjoy this amazing grace of God in real time. And Peter seems to be holding it all up to his readers and saying, and you, you do get to experience it all and see it in full. Concerning this salvation, let's talk about that. That salvation from verse 9 that today's passage is concerning, well, that salvation has been longed for from ages past and is now desired even by the eternal angels who presently dwell with God in His heaven. And listen, church, that very same salvation is what you are experiencing in real time in the here and now. And that very same salvation will be what carries you into and out through all of eternity. And those who stand forgiven and redeemed by the grace of God will stand and say, I saw it all. I saw it in full! And it is more than I could possibly understand and appreciate. But man, I really like what I've seen so far. And you experience it in your everyday life. Now, let me tell you what I don't want to do is make you feel bad for not understanding that. What I want you to do is say, God, open my eyes that I can see it now. That I can enjoy it now. These things that the prophets desire to see. The things that the angels are just begging. Can can you tell us more about that? Can we just watch them and see what this is all about? God, give me eyes to see that salvation that you have graciously given to 
me to us concerning this salvation. We get to experience it every day in our everyday life, in our living, breathing, eating, drinking, sleeping, rising, waking, partying, rejoicing, suffering, crying, you name it. We get to experience this salvation firsthand. And I pray by God's grace that we don't miss it. End of passage, beginning of application. Four application points. I can't get past the P's. We got four P's today. I think Don had P's for you last week. And I had P's for you the week before. A lot of P's going on here. Grace and P's to you today. Four application points. Prophecy. Path. Proclaimers. And privilege. Prophecy, path, proclaimers, and privilege. Now, the privilege point could also be place. We'll talk about that when we get there. Prophecy, path, proclaimers, privilege. First application point is prophecy. And I do want to talk for just a few minutes about the nature of prophecy. Are there prophets today? Do people prophesy today? Um, The prophets, it would seem, through the consistent testimony of the whole counsel of God, were a link in the chain. They were a step on the ladder. Okay? The Old Testament is heavy with prophets. Very heavy. We see a lot of, well, I mean, the prophetic books fill the end of our Old Testament. Um, I, I should have counted those books. I didn't do it. Look it up yourself. You can do that work. How many prophetic books there are on those? And then how many, how many prophecies are in the non-prophetic books? So there's a lot of foretelling in the Old Testament. And that's part of what prophets did. It wasn't all they did. But there was a lot of foretelling. This is what God is going to do. Okay? So that's there. Now we do see prophets mentioned in the New Testament. I, I, I come to think about uh, Agabus who was a prophet who prophesied that the one who wore Paul's belt was going to suffer in Rome. And that came about, right? So we do see prophets, and we see in in the spiritual gift listings, prophecy and prophets. Okay? So, are there prophets today? And I think it's very important to ask this question. I want to give you one passage, and then we'll talk a little bit more, and then I'll give you another passage. Ephesians 2, 19-22. So then you, believers, church, Ephesian believers, and us because we received the letter too, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now this statement here that the foundation of this building is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Okay? The house, the dwelling place that God is building out of His people, we are being built into a dwelling place, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Okay? The fact that there's a foundation means that there's something that comes after the foundation that is necessary for that thing to stand on, but it's not the foundation. You with me? That's a lot of words to say not much. 
The prophets and the apostles served as the foundation that the church was going to be built upon. And, and at least partially from this statement, it seems to be, and through other statements which we'll get to in a minute, there's no need for a prophet now. We don't need God to reveal what's going to come anymore. He's done it. They foretold it for two plus thousand years. And then in the time of the apostles and the prophets, there were some things that had to be shored up, some some things leveled out and put in there so that then the building project could begin. And once once that time passed, we don't need that. You don't put a foundation on top of your building. Or in the middle of your building. It's at the beginning. A good foundation means a good sturdy building. So everything that we need to know, God has revealed through what? Through His Word, which we see the prophetic writings. Anybody want to venture to receive a new word from God that they want to put in the Scripture now? You don't. Because God's done with that. God finished the predicting work. He finished the atoning work. And when Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, that work was done. And the building project began with the foundation of the apostles and the prophets laid. No, I do not think there are modern day apostles. I don't see the scripture saying that there are. I don't believe that the scripture teaches that there are modern day prophets. Now there is a gift of prophecy There is a work of prophesying, but all you're doing there is speaking what God has already spoken. And we know that what is in the Scriptures is what God has already spoken. Not your dream, not your vision, not your upset stomach at three in the morning. We know that God has spoken what's written in those 66 books. So the the work of prophesying now, the work of any prophet that may be now, is simply speaking forth the words that God has already spoken from His Word. So there is a prophetic ministry, but it's not I received a special word from God and let me proclaim it to you. It's here's what God has said, let me proclaim that to you. That's why it's listed in those gifts and such. All the types, all the shadows, all the prophets and predictions were fulfilled and realized in the person and work of Christ. And now revealed through the Word of God and the God who is the Word. All the types and shadows, all the prophets and predictions were fulfilled and realized in our perfect prophet, our perfect priest, king, our perfect temple, our perfect sacrifice, our perfect Savior. Hebrews 11, 1-2 says it this way, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. God has no need to say anything else. He has spoken by His Son, and His Son conveyed perfectly exactly what God was trying to say and leading up to for all those thousands of years. You want to know what God looks like? You want to know what God would say? Look to Jesus. Look to the Word, and then look in the Word for what that Word says about the Word. In these last, and again, that, that Word, this, this Word here is, is very important. Because back here, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But 
in these last days, which started when Jesus was around, the last days did, in these last days, he's not speaking like that anymore. Now he has spoken to us by his Son. So again, look at the finished work of Christ, not the predicted work of Christ. So no, there are not prophets who receive special revelations from God to tell us new things from God or about Jesus. We've got everything we need in the written word. And that written word gives us everything we need. So that's prophecy. The application there is don't look for a new word from God. Don't, don't, don't believe somebody who calls themselves a prophet who tells you that they've got a special revelation from God. They don't. You say, well, how can you know? The Bible tells me so. Prophecy, now path. From our passage today, there was a path that the coming Messiah was going to travel. And that path led from sufferings to glories. And we said that this is a major theme of Peter's writing, suffering as a necessary part of the Christian life. Now, I know we've said it several times, but I'm going to say that again. Sufferings are a necessary part of the Christian life. Not only are they inevitable, they're necessary. But it's not just suffering for suffering's sake. Our suffering leads to glory. A few sentences here from John Calvin about this. Quote, Peter tells his readers that their sufferings had been foretold long before by the Spirit so that they may endure them with a calm spirit. But there's much more to this statement, Calvin says. He means that from the very beginning, God has so ordained and governed the Christian church that the cross has been the preparation for victory and death the way to life. Such is the clear testimony of Scripture. Therefore, there's no reason why we should be unduly depressed by our troubles as though they meant our misery when the Spirit of God Himself calls us blessed. He goes on to say, But notice the order. He puts sufferings first and the glories which are to follow second, and he makes it clear that this order can be neither changed nor reversed. The afflictions come first, and then comes glory. There are two striking thoughts expressed in this sentence. Christians must first suffer many tribulations that they may know the joy of glory. Secondly, their sufferings are not evil because they are bound closely with the glory to come. He goes on to say, almost done, Since God Himself has ordained this conjunction, it is not for us to tear one part away from the other, but it is a rare comfort to us that this situation of ours has been predicted so many ages ago from which we gather that our coming deliverance from it is no empty promise. Hence, we also know that we suffer not by chance, but by the solid Providence of God. End of quote. Wow. You ever felt alone, abandoned, confused when you're suffering? Yeah, because we're humans. And the comfort that we can derive from this is that we suffer not by chance, 
but by the solid providence of God. And you know who did it before us? Jesus did. Look at this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Though now for a while you are grieved by various trials, rejoice, knowing that those sufferings are producing a cleanness and a purity of faith that is going to result in glory beyond anything we could think or imagine. And our suffering is not worth comparing to the glory. So this may cost us 28 cents and we get 68 quadrillion billion trillion dollars in return. But man, I I need that 68 cents. It's true. And one day you won't. Paul says it more amplified in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's pretty good news. So suffering, then glory. Don't be confused or disoriented by your suffering. Rest in it knowing that it is producing glory for you that is far beyond comparison or even contrasting with these present sufferings. And our glory, our future glory, will be so much greater than our present sufferings. Know that and suffer like Jesus did. Prophecy path and proclaimers. This is just a quick side note, really. I want you to look at the meticulous and wonderful way that God brought His message of grace to us through prophets, through apostles, through the Holy Spirit, through angels. Peter mentioned all of those in this brief little passage. And I don't have a scripture or two for this application point. I would just point to the whole Bible, literally. God's work to preserve and proclaim His plan leading up to the full gospel message being preached is just a wonder to think about and focus on. God in eternity past said, I'm going to announce my grace and I'm going to hold it out there and then I'm going to fulfill it one day and I want my people to know it so I'm going to orchestrate for there to be prophets. I'm going to orchestrate for there to be apostles. I'm going to orchestrate my very Holy Spirit to carry these messages to these people, out to my people And you angels are just going to stand and go, wow, what are you doing? We want to know more about it. From eternity past to eternity future, God has and will communicate His will and His gospel until all that He has desired is accomplished. The message will not falter. The message will not stop. It will not be quenched. It will continue until it has accomplished everything that God has sent it to do. And He planned that in eternity past and will glory in it for all eternity future. You can't mess it up. Oh, I... I used to just be so motivated by, don't let the flame die on your watch. Like it was my responsibility to make sure that all future generations got the gospel flame, because if I didn't preach it, doggone it, they're not going to get it. Praise God that He's superintending this message. And listen, I get to be a part of it. That's gloriously wonderful. 
but I don't bear the weight of responsibility that if, if, if you don't do it, the rest of the future generations of the earth are going to go to hell. God has made it so that his plan is going to be proclaimed through his message and his messengers until the last one is purchased. And that message is the gospel. And he has preserved it from eternity past and will proclaim it into eternity future. And look at our spot in all of this, our last application point. Prophecy path proclaimers and finally, I said it could be one or the other. It could be either, I've lost my place, privilege or place. Our spot in all of this is one of incredible privilege. Now listen, don't start going, I'm a jerk because I don't fully understand what God's doing. I mean, if I just really, I should do better. Stop it. Don't go there. Just exactly what Silas said. Yeah, think about your sins, but don't stop there. Don't stop at the fact that you don't fully comprehend the privilege that you have in the plan and place of God right now in 2022, October 30th, 2022. Do you fully understand the privilege that you have in the place and the plan of God? No, you don't. But the application here is just stop and look. Soak it up. Just look at the meticulous way that God has brought about His plan and preserved His message. Jesus said this to His disciples, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And I think I could say that to us today. He said it again in Luke 10, 23, 24. Then turning to the disciples, He said privately, elbow, elbow, wink, wink, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And what he's saying is, but you get to see it. And you get to hear it. And you get to live it. And you get to be it. And you get to preach it. And you get to soak in it. Not just now, but for all eternity. That is a place of very great privilege. And I want us to enjoy it. Now, I'm blessed and highly favored. None of this stuff bothers me at all. That's not what I'm saying. But it does that my sufferings are in a context of coming glory. It's that there is not anybody who's beyond the hope of the gospel. So if I proclaim this gospel, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above anything I could think or ask. He could save Saul the assassin and turn him into Saul Paul the apostle. You're like, well, that's awesome that he did that back then. He's still doing it now. In our place, in our time, Saul Paul said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It ain't coming sometime later. It's revealed in full from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Listen to me, church. The full revelation, the full power of the omnipotent Holy Spirit of God, the very power of God available to you, through you, in the preaching of the gospel. 
That is a place of tremendous privilege in the place of God. If you wonder what that, just read Romans 8. I won't do that today. If you want to know what it means to be blessed to live in this time in God's plan, read Romans 8. Yes, there are sufferings. And yes, even some of the revealed will and workings of God are veiled to us. But listen, we have received the grace of God. And today, now, and for eternity, we share in His kingdom. Now, the prophets longed for that. All those preceding Christ looked forward to a time when that was coming. The angels would cry out, when are you going to do it? And they say, you did it! Now what's it all about? And we get to read the word. We get to have the testimony of the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We get to enjoy what we sang about earlier. I will trust in the, cross of my, in the cross of my Redeemer. I will sing of the blood that never fails, of sins forgiven, of conscience cleansed, of death defeated, and life without end. Yes, that is a very privileged place in the plan of God. And here we are today. We're sitting with the saints of God today in this building, in this place. The called out assembly. The adopted children of God himself. Today. In this place. And tomorrow when I go to work. The very Holy Spirit of God. That inspired Peter's message. The very Holy Spirit of God. That spoke to and through the prophets. Is working in and through me. To proclaim the gospel of salvation. Of the grace of God. To the praise of his glorious grace. Today. Finish with this. His divine power, Peter says in 2 Peter 1, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted, has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you, (laughs) you, may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That's a place of incredible privilege in the place and plan of God. Anybody want to partake in the divine nature? Here's a sneak preview. It's pretty good, y'all. It's what we're going to be celebrating for all eternity. And we get to partake of it right now. Prophecy, path, proclaimers, and privilege or place. We don't need to long to see. We get to see. We don't need to hope that we can get better. We are the redeemed and made whole by the grace of God. And we get to partake in his kingdom today. May we do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there are no half measures in your kingdom. Even the prophets who saw in part knew that there was a coming fulfillment, that they were serving somebody later. 
So they faithfully proclaimed your word. They faithfully predicted the Christ. And then the Christ came and he perfectly fulfilled the ministry that you sent him to accomplish. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross to pay the penalty and to pay the ransom for the sins of his people. He died and was buried and was resurrected, showed himself alive to over 500 people, then ascended into heaven, sat down at your right hand, Father, and even now ever lives to make intercession for his people. And if we will place our faith in him, in his finished work, we are those who receive the privileged place of honor and glory and power and beauty in your kingdom now. Father, help us all to forsake our petty sins and to pursue passionately our place in your privileged kingdom. Thank you for the words of the prophets, the writings of the apostles. Thank you for the gospel. Help us to embrace it and proclaim it in the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now. Now. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed, but stay and eat with us if you can.